We give thanks today for our mothers and how appropriate as we continue our sermon series on the book of Acts where we're looking at how the early church turned the world upside down by living by the values of the kingdom of heaven within the kingdoms of earth. Today, uh, we're looking at how they gained that reputation and we're asking the question, what's our reputation? Surely that's a question that our mothers would encourage us to ask. How are you presenting yourselves? What do people think of you? What's, what's your reputation? And I can tell you, I have been around mothers enough to know that mothers talk to each other. They talk to each other while walking in the neighborhood. They talk to each other when they run into one another in the grocery store. They talk to each other in the church parking lot. And they always ask each other about their kids. So I want to encourage you today to give your mother a gift. Give your mother something great she can tell her friends about you. Read your Bible every day and pray pray every day so that your mother can say, Oh, Bobby, he's a good man religious, reads his Bible, prays, takes his kids to church. Oh, Susan, she's a wonderful woman, always teaching the kids about the Bible, reading it herself, studying. So if you don't read your Bible every day already, we have a plan for you. It's called the Grow Through the Bible Reading Plan. Uh, Hundreds of us here in the church participate in this. Uh, You can find it at concordunited.org slash Bible. You can also get a copy at our information center in the lobby. It's going to give you a brief passage of Scripture to read every day. If you'd like more at concordunited.org Bible, we also have a daily devotion. And that daily devotion will, can be accessed in email form or podcast form. It'll take you deeper into the Scripture and give you a focus for your prayer life. So hope that that can be a part of your gift to your mother and your gift to yourself this year. As we consider what's our reputation I remember the summer of my seventh grade, uh, after I completed seventh grade, uh, my father was driving me in the car and he turned to me and he said, Will, we're going to move. We're going to be moving from Knoxville to Chattanooga. And at the time, that was the most life-shattering news I could imagine receiving. I'd spent the previous two years uh, struggling to awkwardly make my way in the middle school I was attending. I had my Knoxville friends. I liked my Knoxville friends. I had my Knoxville church. I liked my Knoxville church. I had my Knoxville sports teams. I liked my Knoxville sports teams. I didn't want anything to do with whatever could be going on down in that city called Chattanooga. That The only experience I had ever been to with with Chattanooga was we stopped there one time on the way to an Atlanta Braves game and we ate at this new restaurant I had never heard before called Chick-fil-A that had pickles on its sandwiches. (laughs) And while I enjoyed my chicken sandwich, I just didn't see enough else to make me want to to move there. Uh, So I turned to my father uh, in, in that moment. And for the first and the last time in my life, I cussed my father. And I'm so thankful that my father at that moment was more gracious than I deserved and he was more concerned about the pain and the fear uh, of his son than the disrespect his son had just shown. However, he told me it might be better than I could imagine. I didn't believe him. I should have. I discovered something when we arrived. I got to create my own reputation. I got a new opportunity, and 
I took advantage. I grew six inches between the end of seventh grade and the beginning of eighth grade. So when I showed up in Chattanooga, the young ladies in my class didn't think of me as some awkward, quiet, shy guy. They thought of me as a tall, interesting guy. And because, because I came armed with all the funny jokes that that my Knoxville friends had told me that my Chattanooga friends had not yet heard (laughs) and thought were my own jokes, for three months I I was not shy and quiet, I was outgoing and funny. And by the time they figured out that wasn't really who I was, I was already their friend. And they they couldn't get rid of me. I found a church that deeply shaped me in my faith. I made friends that are still my friends to, to this day. Within two months' time, I wouldn't have gone back if I could have. God worked so amazingly in that moment. It's amazing uh, the difference that reputations and the chance sometimes to start a new reputation can make. And mothers know this, right? Mothers are well aware, and that's why your mother is always telling you to stand up, dress up, shake hands, hold the door, make conversation, pay the bill. It's why even when you're an adult, your mother might come up to you, and she might go, oh, honey, did you fix your hair today? And then she might lick her thumb and, and, and get it just right. I've seen 80-year-old women do this to 60-year-old women. It, it, it happens. They, they worry about our reputations, and rightfully so. We can't entirely control our reputations, but mothers worry because mothers know that reputations reap rewards and wreck reality. What someone thinks about you has a dramatic impact on the opportunities you will have or not have in your life. In fact, we're told uh, that we make first impressions of one another in one-tenth of a second. In the first tenth of a second, when you see someone's face, you make assumptions about that person. And after seven seconds from your interactions, you have a fairly decent idea about what you think about their personality and integrity. If you make a poor first impression, psychologists tell us that it will take eight positive impressions to undo that first poor impression. I know of a man who graduated uh, from uh, his advanced studies. He was seeking a job in his career field. At the time, he had a very good friend who went through the studies with him, who had a name similar to his, and who looked somewhat like him. He got his first job because they mistook him for his friend. That's how much reputations and impressions can affect things for good or for ill. And we all know that sometimes the people will think poorly of us, no matter how hard we try. And so here's what I want to tell you. You can't affect, you can't control if someone will think well of you or not. But you should strive for, to make sure that if they don't think well of you, it's because of something you're proud of, not because of something you're ashamed of. Now, sometimes we all make mistakes and we need forgiveness, but we should strive to have those times when people think poorly of us be because of something we're proud of, not because of something we're ashamed of, and it should be something that we have the right to be proud of. The early church 
got this reputation for turning the world upside down with how they, they treated others. Let me share with you a little bit about it. The reason it became such a big deal was because so many people heard it and they wanted to be like that. Picking up with Acts chapter 17, uh, we learn of Paul and Silas traveling throughout the Mediterranean world, sharing the gospel. They've already found people who didn't think highly of what they had to share. They've been imprisoned, uh, they've been beaten, and they have made it out alive, and they have seen God's miraculous work. And now they come to a new town called Thessalonica, uh, and we hear of what happens there. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the degree, decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. Think about the reputation the early church had for turning the world upside down in a good way. And how was it that they gained this reputation? Well, if you look at it, there were two main pieces of their reputation. First was that they were honest to a fault, honest to a fault, honest even when it meant hardships, honest even when it meant suffering. Think about Paul and Silas. They They'd already been imprisoned. You may remember the story we've talked about where the earthquake came and their chains fell off and the Holy Spirit set them free. Then they were able to share the gospel with the jailer and even the jailer and his family came to believe. You might remember stories of them being pursued by mobs and beaten. This is what begins to happen again here in Thessalonica. They were honest to a fault even when it wasn't popular to talk about Jesus, they just couldn't quit talking about what Jesus had done. They just couldn't stop sharing about how he had risen from the dead. They just couldn't stop speaking of the way he had made a difference in, in their lives. They were honest to a fault. They were honest when it was advantageous, and they were honest when it was disadvantageous. Not only were they honest, they were caring. They had compassion for others. They wanted to share this good news with others. They wanted to bless others. They started ministries to the poor. You might remember from Acts chapter 6 and 7, the story of Stephen, we learn of their ministry to the widows who didn't have enough to eat, how they began bringing food to the widows, both Jewish widows and Greek widows. Uh, they cared for the sick. Recently, one of my children was riding with me in the car, 
they turned to me and they said, Dad, we learned in school that we haven't always had hospitals. How did hospitals come about? And I said, I'm glad you asked. The word hospital actually comes from the word hospice, which goes back to the Greek, which goes back to the early church. And they were sorry they had asked. But it was too late. It was too late. The radio had already been turned off. And the history lecture began about how in the Roman world, they had a basic idea of diseases being contagious, but they didn't fully understand germs. And often their practice was if you got significantly ill, they shut you in your home for two weeks and then they came and checked on you to see if you were alive because they didn't want to catch whatever you had. The early Christian church said that's not good enough. Even if it means putting ourselves at risk, we need to care for the sick. That's what Jesus taught us, right? That I was sick and you cared for me. So they did that, even at their own risk, even though it meant more of them would catch diseases. They cared for those who were sick. Their movement, this ministry of caring for the sick was referred to as hospice. And it was from this word hospice that when society and medicine evolved to creating hospitals, we, we got that term. And now today, we once again have reclaimed the term hospice as a movement to help us die with dignity and grace and trust that death is not the end but a beginning. They turned the world upside down with their honesty and with their compassion. And people just didn't know what to make of it. Those who disliked them disliked them for reasons that they were very proud of. Well, what's the reputation of the church today? I have good news for you. The church remains in America one of the top five most trusted institutions. I have bad news for you. We all trust our institutions less than we used to. Trust in institutions has been on the decline. And I, I want you to know that I believe it will be the work of the Holy Spirit to raise up Christians, to lead the church, to lead the business world, to lead school systems, to lead neighborhoods, uh, to lead local governments, to lead national governments, who will serve in such a way and take up their crosses in such a way that they will help restore our society's faith in institutions over the next several generations. I believe that's a work that God is al has already begun and a work that God wants to do through many of you and wants us to see uh, take place in our midst. But because of this, for the first time since we've been taking surveys, less than 50% of Americans in some surveys see the church as a force for good. Those who don't see the church in a positive light have concerns largely about the church being too political, about ethical failures among leaders within the church, and about hypocrisy uh, within Christians. And I want to tell you this, it, when I hear these concerns, it makes me so proud to be a United Methodist. It makes me proud to be a part of a tradition uh, that has not fully aligned itself with the left or the right, uh, but with uh, the Savior who extended his left and right hand on the cross to all humanity. It makes me so proud 
of the way United Methodism has been set up to handle ethical failures because every organization that has people in it will have ethical failures take place. I have known of church leaders in my time as a pastor who have had ethical failures, and I have seen our denomination act swiftly and assertively both to remove them from leadership and to get them and their families the care that, that they need. I have seen our church go above and beyond in making sure, and United Methodist Churches as a mandate go above and beyond in making sure everyone who walks through their doors is safe. I have seen us become a humble people who don't pretend to be something that we're not. And in that spirit of humility, I have to make a confession to you today. I'm behind the times. I pride myself on keeping up with things, what people uh, are, are talking about. I recently learned, I got to share this with you, online, um, if someone says you're spitting, that doesn't mean uh, they don't like what you're saying. It means you're spitting out facts and they think you're telling the truth. So that's a gift just for you today. Uh, but in another way, I am very behind the times. And my family, we're trying to catch up now. So please, please forgive us. I want you to know we have just started, just within the last month, we have started watching the Harry Potter movies. I've heard a lot about Harry Potter for many years. I saw the books. Quite frankly, they intimidated me. They're much too big. Some of you have read all the books. You have my undying admiration. I could, I could not do it. So we've started watching the Harry Potter movies. And they're fascinating movies. It's, it's a great story. I see why so many people love it so much. But when I look at what takes place at their school Hogwarts, I, I have to tell you, often I think... They should have a better safe sanctuary policy there. <laughs> I mean, they allow professors all too much time alone with students. There needs to be another adult in the room. And I know they have this magical spell that keeps the boys out of the girls' dorm and the girls out of the boys' dorm. But those girls and boys, they get lost a lot together in dark rooms by themselves. That's not really okay. They should do better. I'm, I'm just a Methodist. I believe in, in safe sanctuary uh, po po policies. But those concerns, the church is too political, too many ethical failures, it's hypocrisy, versus what the early church was about, honest to a fault and caring. So I want to ask you today, will you be those people? Will you be the people who restore faith in the church to the majority of our society by being honest to a fault, by being caring. It all starts with trust. So let me ask you this. When others think of you, do they think of someone who can be trusted? When others think of you, do they think of someone who can be trusted? And if they do, it mo it's most likely because of two reasons, consistency and compassion. It, this, again, just another way of saying being honest to a fault and being compassionate. But consistency and compassion, they want to see that you're consistent. They want to see that you're the same person that you say you are. They want to see that you treat others with the same level of respect and integrity, whether that person can do something for you 
or not. They want to know, are you consistent? They want to know, will you be kind and considerate on your bad days as well as your good days? These are the questions that they're asking. I've been to churches, and I have seen churches that are growing rapidly. And I've heard their preachers get in the pulpit And I have to tell you, when their preachers got in the pulpit, in my personal opinion, it wasn't much. Now, I am one of the worst critics of sermons. It kind of goes with the territory. You might be the same way about your profession. I listen to sermons online, and I have to do a lot of work to stop analyzing uh, if I want the message to actually speak to my soul. I listen to my own sermon each week online. And I've got to tell you, you're very gracious. You, you put up with a lot. But what I've found at each of those churches where their pastor is never going to be asked to create, you know, to have their sermons distributed on Netflix, what I've found at each of those churches is their leadership is remarkably consistent and compassionate. That if you are consistent and if you are compassionate and you really care and you do what you say you're going to do and it's in the best interest of others, it is one of the most attractive things in this world. When others think of you, do they think of someone who can be trusted? And when others think of you, do they think of someone who is honest and who is courageous? who is honest to a fault, uh, even uh, when it means more difficulty, who is courageous, who doesn't just speak the truth and do the right thing when it's easy to do, but who speaks the truth and does the right thing when it's hard to do. That's what they're looking for. I recently learned of the story of one of our church members. Uh, In their early years as a professional, they started a business. And they were very excited when their business went into partnership on a particular project with one of the biggest organizations in our country. When the project was done and the bills were being tallied, they were going to owe this major corporation about a quarter of a million dollars. Around this time, this corporation moved offices. And back then... Invoices weren't done over computer. Uh, They were done on sheets of paper. And the sheet of paper with a $250,000 invoice was taken and a file drawer was opened and it was deposited within that file drawer. And that file drawer was shipped to a new office and it was placed in a storage room And it was not seen from or heard from for three years' time. At that time, this member of our church, who asked that their their name not be shared, called the corporation and said, I think I owe you a quarter of a million dollars. Even though their business was still in the startup phase, still not fully solid and established, Even though there was so much they could do for that business and their families with a quarter million dollars, they called and said, we think we owe you. The corporation looked in their files. Uh, They had to assign an employee to go and search. And eventually they found that slip of paper 
they pulled it out and they said, yes, uh, you, you do owe us a, a quarter million. In other news, they tried to charge interest and this church member said, no, that's not part of the deal. But the business paid, even though it was sacrificial, even though uh, it would have it put their business at risk, they paid it. They paid it because it was the right thing to do. Uh, they paid it even though the corporation admitted, if you hadn't called us, we never would have found this. Because that's just what you do. Because that's who you are. Because it's important to be honest to a fault. And it's important to be courageous. And who cares if you gain the world if you lose your soul in, in doing so? When others think of you, do they think of someone who is honest and courageous? And finally, and most importantly, when others think of you, do they think of Jesus Christ? Do they think of someone who follows Christ? Do they think of someone who's seeking to learn from Christ? Do they think of someone who can't stop sharing about what Christ has done and can't stop trying to do what Christ has called them to do? Do they think about someone who models Jesus' teachings? Do they think about someone who cares about those who have a lot to offer them and who cares about those who don't seem to have too much to offer them? Do they, care, do they see someone uh, who treats their friends uh, with loyalty and their enemies with respect? Do they see someone who doesn't give up on people because Christ hasn't given up on them? Do they see someone who they would want to go to when times are hard, who they would want to go to when they have a difficult question because this person seems to have wisdom beyond themselves because this person has been connected to the greatest teacher who ever lived because this person somehow believes that the spirit of that teacher is living inside of them and they just can't quite figure out why this person does what they do but they want to know what this person has to say when others think of you do they think of Christ when others don't think well of you is it because you were too gracious is it because you were too loving? I was recently at a meeting where one group in the meeting had broken a contract and we were trying to figure out how to mend the problem. When the meeting was over, the biggest complaint that I heard is that we were too gracious to those in the wrong. I felt some of that myself. And then I walked out and I talked to the mediator who was a Christian leader themselves. And I realized that maybe we're not offended. Maybe it's Jesus who's offended us. Maybe that's why we're upset because we were asked to model his teachings. When others look at you, do they see someone who follows Christ? When others look at you, do they see someone who's honest to a fault and compassionate? When others look at you, do they see someone who's consistent? Do they see someone who will take a loss in order not to lose their souls when others look at you? And if you think that's too high a bar to climb over, you're right, it's too high. None of us will get over it unless Jesus' Holy Spirit lives within us. That's our only chance. It's our only shot. It's the only hope we have. So if that's your hope, I'd invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we come before you and we ask that somehow you might look at us and you might see fit to use us 
to turn the world upside down in a beautiful way. Just as you used your earliest church, that you might allow us to be honest to a fault and caring beyond reason. That you might create in us both consistency and compassion. That you might allow us to be honest and courageous when we gain by doing so and when we lose. That through your Holy Spirit, others might not just see Christ in us, but that Christ might actually live within us in this life and that we might actually have the chance to adore and worship him in the next for all of time. We pray this in his name and we all said together, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.